Well, the last few weeks, um, we've been looking at some of the Christmas carols that we sing and using them a little bit as a focus, giving a little bit of a history about them and then looking at different parts of the Christmas story. And the, the Christmas carol that I wanted to look at today is the one we just closed with, O Come All Ye Faithful. The title of my message is, O Come Let Us Adore Him. Adore Him. What kind of things do we adore? What does that word even mean, adoration, to adore something, to worship something, to love something, to bow down before something, to lift something up, to admire something, to admire and adore divinity, deity, God in the flesh? Oh, come all ye faithful. This song has got a really interesting story to it. Um, a historian at Oxford University in England did the research on this. I don't know if it's totally true or not. But this song was written back in about 1720, something like that, the early 1700s. And it was written at a time there was something that was called the Jacobite Revolution. Anybody ever heard of the Jacobite Revolution? Really? I am so impressed with you. But all I know, it was, it was a revolution. No, the Jacobite Revolution was this thing that started between a family that had been forced out of royalty and trying to get back into the line of royalty. There was a man by the name of Charles Edward Stuart who was trying to, regra- to, to regain the British throne for his father, James Jacob. That's where the Jacobite comes from, James Francis Stuart. The song in the Latin was Adeste Fidelis, and it was said to be really a, an ode to the birth, not of Jesus, but of this character named Charles. And they referred to him as Bonnie Prince Charles. Don't you love the way the English speak? But it was written in Latin. And the song itself was supposed to have a cipher in it that only the Jacobites could understand. So there were some words that had double meaning if you were involved with the revolution. For example, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, really meant joyful and triumphant Jacobites come to England. Bethlehem was code or cipher for England. Come and behold him, born the king of England, Bonnie Prince Charles. Bethlehem, a cipher for England, and angels was a, a cipher for English. I don't know how much of that's true. I, I believe everything college professors tell me. I hope you could taste the sarcasm in that statement. But it's become a real rally cry. If you pay attention to the words that we sung, it's a, it's a rally call to Christians to come together to gather together to worship him, to adore him, to lift up his name, to come together as the body of Christ. O come, all ye faithful, come and worship, adore and bow down to the King of Kings. It became this rally call, in the, and really not until in the 1900s and a little bit later in than that. It is a rally call, an invitation, if you would, to come. But the reality is, not everybody responds to that invitation. That's for sure. 
But there's something about Jesus, or even the name of Jesus, and the person of Jesus, that does something that I don't think any other name or any other person does. And that's, it reveals the heart of people when they hear and know Jesus and know about him. There's a scripture in Luke chapter 2. The scripture is from the story when Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple to dedicate Jesus. And there was a man, an elderly man there named Simeon. And Simeon had been promised by God that he would meet the Messiah before he died. And when Mary Mary and Joseph came to the temple, in the outer courts of the temple, there was Simeon. And somehow he knew by the Spirit of God, I believe, that this was the Messiah. It had to be a little strange for Mary and Joseph. Here comes this strange little guy, comes up to him and starts talking to him, really prophesying to them about this child. But yet they handed the child to Simeon. And he spoke these words that we see in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that's the part I want to focus on, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus is the revealer of our thoughts of our intentions, of our hearts. The name Jesus, the person of Jesus, will always reveal something about the hearer's heart when they hear the name Jesus. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2. Again, I think it's scripture most all of us are probably familiar with, starting in verse 1, part of the Christmas story. Starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and the teachers, or the scribes, of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. In Malachi. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him also. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another way. I see in this at least three different types of hearts, all revealed in this short section of Scripture. And that's what I want to touch on this morning. And I hope we find none of us having the first heart that I'm going to talk about. I hope there's very few of us that have the second heart. And I hope most of us, if not all, have the third heart. The first heart is a hard, calloused, antagonistic heart towards Jesus. And this is found in King Herod. King Herod. From what I just read, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And a little bit later, some time later, these magi from the east, these wise men from the east, by the way, they're never called kings in Scripture, they show up. And they tell him that they've been following this star, and they heard that the king of the Jews has been born. And they want to know where to find him. Where do we go? Where do we look? And Herod calls on the people that should know. He calls on the scribes, those that were responsible for writing the law out so it would never be lost. They would know the law. The chief priests were called and asked, where is the child to be born? And they quote the prophet Micah, that he is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And when they hear this, before they leave, King Herod calls them aside. He says, they ask them in secret, hey, when did that star show up? We don't know for sure because we don't know the secret. But we do know how we eventually see Herod's response to the answer to that question. Eventually, he decides to send his troops to Bethlehem in the area of Bethlehem and kill all the male children under two years of age. Doesn't sound like he really wanted to worship him. Didn't want to adore him. He's lying. He's a murderer. Who is this Herod? Historically, Herod is an interesting guy. Evil is all get out, but he had some skills. He had some talents. He was an amazing builder back in the day. Herod's temple, rebuilding this magnificent temple. And he built many other structures. He also was very good as a politician in a positive sense because the nation prospered under his reign. But he was evil, vile. This guy was about as paranoid as a ruler can get. He killed two wives. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed sons. Three sons. Because he thought, he'd heard rumors that they were conspiring against him, trying to take his kingdom. This is how evil this man was. And eventually, as we read a little further, you discover the story about killing all of the babies. King Herod, a hardened heart, a calloused heart, and even beyond that, an antagonistic heart. He wanted nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, he felt threatened by the very revelation that there was one that called the Messiah. The Jewish people have been waiting for centuries for the Messiah. 
and he hears that he's been born. He thinks he's in control. He thinks he's in control of his life. He not only thinks he's in control of his life, he thinks he's in control of everything around him. Doesn't need this Messiah. Have you ever seen, it's kind of a silly picture for a serious topic, but have you ever seen a stroller with a little toddler in it, but the stroller's got a steering wheel on it? And that little toddler thinks he's driving that thing all over the place. And mom's pushing him through the park. Dad's pushing him through the park. And he sees some dogs over here. And he wants to see the dogs. And he starts turning that wheel as fast as he can, as fast as he can, as fast as he can. But mom's going, no way he's going near those dogs. And the stroller keeps going straight. And the kid starts screaming and hollering. And he's turning the wheel faster and faster. That's how we are sometimes. That's how hard-hearted people can be. Callous people. You think you're in control. But we're not in control. God is in control. We do not want to be or respond the way that Herod responds in this situation to this announcement. This is the type of person who may hear about Jesus. This is the type of person, if you happen to say Jesus in front of him, unless you're cursing, they don't like it. They probably don't even like you. You try to tell them about Jesus. As long as you leave him in the manger, you're okay. As he's a baby, he doesn't threaten them. But if you talk about Jesus, this person who lived a sinless life, died on a cross for their sins, and we need to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, or we're condemned to hell for eternity, they don't want to hear that. They'll get angry. They'll call you names. Hopefully you don't get punched in the nose. The hard-hearted, antagonistic, calloused heart revealed. Then there's a second heart in verses 4 and 5. And this, in this whole section of Scripture, I can understand evil better than I can understand this next group. In verses 4 and 5, it says this, When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, They knew. They understood. They knew exactly what these kings were looking for. They knew the scriptures. They'd been transcribing them. And their family members for years had been transcribing these things. They knew and understood that the Messiah, the one that they'd been waiting for for centuries and centuries, they knew where he was supposed to be born. They believed Here, mental ascent. Oh, yeah, there's a Messiah. You bet, he's coming. Absolutely, it's in the law. We live by the law. We're sacrificing all these sheep until that Messiah comes. We're waiting for him. Matter of fact, we're praying that he comes soon and delivers us from this bondage that we're in. They knew, at least in their heads, And they didn't care enough to make a five-mile trip to Bethlehem to check it out. Think about that for a second. Their ancestors had been waiting for this announcement for centuries. 
This is what the, the hopes of the whole Jewish nation hinged upon, the Messiah coming. This was the ultimate climax of their faith and their religion. And they wouldn't go five miles to check it out. They weren't interested enough. A totally indifferent heart. A heart of indifference. I think for many people, this is where we have to be careful. Do we have an indifferent heart? Do we walk the walk or do we just talk the talk? These people knew. They knew the law. They could quote the law. If you asked any of them, hey, do you believe the Messiah is coming? They'd have said, absolutely, the prophets have prophesied. He's coming. Do you think he's going to bring freedom and deliverance? Absolutely, that's what he's going to do. They don't understand what kind of freedom and deliverance, but they believe that's what he was coming to do. Knowing he's God, believing he's real, but don't let him bother me. Don't let it bother my style. Don't let it inconvenience me. I'll go to church on Sunday. That's okay. Better not go more than an hour, but I'll go. I'll listen to that long-winded preacher preach a sermon if I have to. When I walk out the door, I got my job done for the week. As long as it doesn't bother my style change my life, require anything from me. I'm going to look good, but on the inside there's not much there. This is not the kind of heart that Jesus died for. The heart of indifference. It's not an antagonistic heart. They're just indifferent. The chief priests the scribes, I think, picture that kind of heart in such a very real but very sad way. And the third heart to be revealed. Are you waiting for some good news? It's in here. It's in here. The Magi, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come that we might worship him. Who are these magi or wise men? As I said, they're never called kings. We really don't know how many there were. We just kind of go along with three because we hear gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They didn't come to a, go to a manger. They came to a house. Could be a year to two years after the baby was born. He's called a child, not a baby. None of that's relevant to looking at their hearts, but it's very interesting to me how we can base something on what we've heard or seen somewhere, but it hasn't got anything to do with the biblical story. We need to be careful. They were educated, very well-educated men. They were probably educated. We know they were astrologers, educated in mathematics. Some of the historians write that they were probably very wise even in things like agriculture. These were the learned men of the region. And they came from the east. 
the east. The east is thought to be from somewhere, somewhere in Persia or ancient Babylon. Those may not mean anything to you, but think of this. It's about 900 to 1,000 miles away from Bethlehem, where they probably came from. How would they have heard of the Messiah? Isn't that a great question? They came a, almost 1,000 miles in some sort of caravan, riding camels, walking. Maybe they had horses. We don't know. doesn't tell us. But they came a long ways. How did they hear? Well, historically, there's some very good options to choose from. If you remember the story of Daniel, when he was taken exile under King Nebuchadnezzar, as he impressed the king with what he could do and what he learned and what he knew and what he could uh, um, speak about prophetic things, interpret dreams, all of these things, King Nebuchadnezzar made him head over or chief over all of the wise men of Babylon. Another possibility, when the Jews were allowed to return from exile, not everybody went back. Not everybody left. Some stayed. They stayed in Babylon. They stayed in Persia. They kept their religion and very easily could have talked with different magi, wise men, men who were interested in learning and understanding Mary may very well have read the scriptures, the Old, Testament, the, the Old Testament prophecies. They could have. We don't know for sure. Maybe God just showed him in a dream. If you know the story, at the end of the story, they didn't go back to, to see King Herod, did they? Why not? Because God spoke to them in a dream to go another way. Maybe God just revealed himself to them in a dream. He's doing the same thing around the world today. People are coming to Christ through dreams and visions in countries where the gospel can't be preached. Maybe. But for whatever it was, we don't know exactly where they came from. We don't know exactly how long it took them. We don't know exactly why they knew to look. But they came. That's the significant part. They had a seeking heart. A seeking heart. We've got that hard, calloused, antagonistic heart. We've got a heart of indifference. But there's the heart of a seeker. One who is seeking the king of the Jews. One who is seeking the Messiah. One who is seeking Jesus Christ. The seeking heart. They weren't going to let a few inconveniences deter them from making the trip to see and learn and worship and adore this king of the Jews. They didn't allow barriers to get in the way. I can think of three very significant barriers that they didn't let bother them. One was distance. They weren't going to let a little 900-mile journey through a really dry land keep them from going to see the Messiah. Here we live in a nation where there's churches about every six blocks and it's just too much work. It's too inconvenient for so many to go to a church, to visit a church. They were going to go and they were going to find this Messiah no matter how far away that was. Second thing, if you think about who they were and where they came from, race and religion could have both been barriers. 
They were not the Jewish nation. They were not Jewish people. They were Persians, Babylonians. They were a people of a different race. It's not even their king. It's another religion's king. It's not theirs. That part of the world back in that time had kind of a cultic pre-Islamic religion. They may have been involved with that. We don't know for sure. But certainly race or religion could have gotten in the way. I think one thing we see in this story from the fact that where they came from and how far they came to see the king of the Jews, he was way more than the king of the Jews. He was for everybody. He was for everybody, whatever their religion was, whatever their race was, whatever their nationality was, Jesus, this Messiah was for them too, for the world, for all of us. And not only is he for everybody, that's the only way to God. They were coming to visit this king, this Messiah, who provides the only way to God the Father. For so many of us, this, this, these barriers can be a, they can stop us. They can stop us. Whether it's religion, traditions, family, all of these things can get in the way of a seeker's heart. Many of us here that are part of victory, that have been a part of victory for many years, maybe going back as far as a few of us do. Before it was a church, it was only a Bible study. God did something in our lives, and all of a sudden we went from indifference to seeking. To seeking. We needed to know more. We needed to know what the Word said. We needed to understand who this God was. We wanted to know all we could learn and experience But it wasn't easy. Some of you may remember some of the barriers, family, churches we were attending, traditions in our own hearts and our own minds, things we thought we knew, but it seemed different from what was in here. But if you have a seeking heart, you're not going to let those barriers stop you. You want to learn more about who this Jesus is. You want to know more about what he promises you in his word. You want to become that true disciple of his. You want to help help others discover who this Jesus really is. A seeking heart doesn't let barriers get in the way. I hope that's the heart we all have is a seeking heart. Wanting to know Him better. Wanting to live lives that glorify Him instead of self. Self is such a challenging enemy. Do we want to know Jesus better? A third barrier is pride I can just about back up over some of what I've already said in the second one. Pride. In Matthew 2, verse 11, 
It says, On coming to the house, the Magi, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. Now think about this. And the Bible doesn't tell us. This is where my imagination can get a little carried away sometimes. But I've got these things full of treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I'm, I'm one of these wise men, these magi, these highly esteemed people from whatever country I come in, and I hear the word of the Lord. Somehow I know I'm supposed to go and see the king of the Jews. I am going to go before the king. I am going to give him my treasure, and I am going to have this audience with the king. And I get there, and there's a lady with a two-year-old. What? I'm not bowing down to any two-year-old. How stupid do you think I am? Pride. I am not going to sell out and become one of those Jesus freaks. I don't want to be called what they're called. I don't want to be part of that group. No way. Pride, these magi with their gifts of great worth and great value came to the house and the Bible says they fell prostrate to worship him, to adore him, this child. In total humility, bowing before a Savior who at the time was nothing more than a toddler. Pride can get in our way. Humble ourselves in adoration. When you go through this story, you may not look at it this way, but I hope you can see clearly these three different hearts. King Herod, what an evil heart. Hard, calloused. He's known here we are thousands of years, 2,000 years later, and he's known as this murdering evil guy. What a claim to fame. What could have he been if he'd opened his heart to the Messiah? Wow, would the story be different. The indifferent heart of the religious people. They were way more concerned about what they did, who they were, the influence, the prestige. They knew the stuff, but it wasn't going to change their life because it was inconvenient. But the seeking heart, that one that's not going to let inconvenience, religion, background, tradition, peer pressure get in the way. A seeking heart. I pray if you've not been a seeking heart and you've been an indifferent heart, today would be a good day to change your mind. If you've been one of those who has hardened, calloused, and I pray and trust that there's none of them here. But you need to know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Your heart will be changed in an instant. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to dismiss. I want to thank you all for coming. Thank you for the volunteers that worked with the kids and, and had them sing to us. Thank our worship team and the guys and the gals in the sound booth. Let's pray. Father, you are the searcher of hearts. Holy Spirit, you know us better than we could ever know ourselves. 
You live within us. You live and dwell within us. If we know you as Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in us. You know our heart. Search our hearts. Convict us if we are in any of those categories except a seeker, one who wants to know Jesus better, who will not let barriers prevent us from knowing him better, that we might live lives that bring glory and honor to our Savior and our Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here this morning. I pray you would bless them, watch over them, keep them safe this holiday season and every day. God, I pray that all of us would be quick to really talk about the real reason for the season of Christmas. We thank you for family. We thank you for friends. We thank you for the ability to give and receive gifts. Father, but never let us forget the reason that we celebrate the birth of your son, God in the flesh. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.